Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, asking that you would lead us through your word. Lord, that as we unpack your scriptures and we read them, Lord, I pray that our faith would be stirred. Your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Lord, we we pray that our faith would be stirred, that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would be even enamored with what you've done for us when we read about it in your word today. So God, I pray you'd lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you uh, have been around since the first of the year, which most of you probably have, I'm not sure if you've noticed some of the themes that have gone on in the messages, but I just want to recap a couple of thoughts for you. God just continues to, um, I think, sow into us some motivation about the mission of the church. We talked about uh, you know, when Paul says that, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known uh, to the world around us. And so we know that the church is God's plan. It's, it's the vessel, uh, all of us weak and broken jars of clay that we are, we are the vessel that God is using to make himself known in the world. And I hope that we take that seriously and that that motivates you about who am I in this process and in this kingdom. Thank you, Jen. Who am I? I have a part to play. It's important. The church is very, very important. We want to raise the value of the church, that it's not just something that you attend on a Sunday, but it's actually a community of people that you become a part of and and serve within. And so we talked about through the church, we talked about uh, being strong. Jeff last week was talking about being strong. We we had visited about being strong in the Lord and how He is the source of our strength. We looked at uh, Jesus' temptation in the desert. How did He deal with spiritual oppression? How did he deal with in a spiritual warfare situation? You know, he used the word of God. So God, I think God just keeps leading us towards this idea of, of, of being activated and uh, powerful and effective in what we do as the body of Christ. So what I want to begin talking about this week is uh, being empowered to serve. We've talked about how important it is to be uh, for the church and to be strong and leaning on God and all those kind of things. Now I want to talk about what what it means to be empowered to serve. Because God didn't just leave us as orphans. When Jesus left and he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, which we'll be celebrating with Easter soon, he didn't just leave us to fend for ourselves, did he? In fact, he he's blessed us significantly, so we're going to talk about that today. When Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven in John chapter 16, or I'm sorry, not ascend, but to go to the cross, he's encouraging his, his disciples. And, you know, they're, they're concerned about what he's talking about. Is he really going to go away? Is he going to die? Is he going to leave us? What's, what's happening here? Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. What is the advantage that he is talking about? Well, we're about to celebrate Easter, so we're going to be celebrating the fact that, that Jesus died on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for forgiveness of our sins so that our relationship with God can be restored, so that eternal life is accessible to you and I through what Jesus did. Those sound like advantages to me. They're significant advantages. But what is the advantage that Jesus draws attention to here before he leaves? What advantage is he going to leave us with so that we can live the mission of life that he has for us. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is he? Who is the helper? Helper is the Holy Spirit. This is translated in a number of different ways. The paraclete, 
the one who counsels, the one who helps you, the one who teaches you. He said, it's to your advantage that I leave. There is significant purpose in Jesus leaving the earth. It's very important that he send the Holy Spirit to be with you and I. Notice here that it's important that he he says, I will send him. You know, if you're familiar with the doctrine of the Trinity, what we believe and teach is that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct personalities, yet one, which can be very hard for us to wrap our minds around. What does that really look like? How does that work? How does it operate? The Holy Spirit is God. It is He, not it. He's not a force. He's not just a a cloud of energy. It is the personality of God. It, uh, It is God. He is God. And Jesus refers to him as him. We see throughout the scripture that that the Holy Spirit is personified uh, in these words. He speaks, he teaches, he witnesses, he searches, he determines, he can be lied to. What we see with Ananias and Sapphira, lying to the Holy Spirit, cost them their lives. He can be grieved Those kinds of things. So it is God. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. Sometimes we think of God as sitting off in outer space somewhere and he must have all these little monitors or something. He watches you guys. Keep his eye on things, right? He's way out there doing that. No, he's right here in the room around and in you and I all the time. He is ever-present, omnipresent. He's everywhere. You think of it, um, well, well, we'll look at a good example of it here in a second. Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to send this helper to you. He's going to advise you. He's going to strengthen you. He's an encourager, an ally, an advocate. All those kinds of things. This is a significant promise that you and I need to remind ourselves of in our everyday lives. After he died and was resurrected, Jesus is getting ready to go back into heaven. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, he says, And behold, in other words, look, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There's an anticipation here. If you put yourself in the shoes of the disciples who are hearing these words, Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. They're not going to see him again in this life. Wait until something happens. A significant event where you will be clothed with power from on high. Again, he's drawing attention to and building an anticipation that there is something significant that God is going to deliver to his people to be a part of their journey and a part of their mission. The Old Testament, um, what is the Old Testament? The Old Testament is all of the time from creation till Jesus. We call that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Agreement, the Old Deal, the Old Way of Relating to God. And we learn lots about God in the Old Testament. That's where a lot of those stories come from. But when Jesus came, he established a new covenant with his people. So we call it the New Testament. Everything from Jesus forward in your Bible, those letters, is the New Testament. It's, the, it's, it's now that Jesus has died and paid the price, the relationship with God changed. But all throughout the Old Testament, we see an anticipation that the Holy Spirit will be a part of God's people and their lives. And the, very, the second verse of the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, this is verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's a great picture for you. 
He hovered over the face of the waters. I almost think of it like fog everywhere, spread out all over. And that's how God is. He's all over the earth. He's everywhere all the time. He's ever-present. He's right up here with me on the stage. He's right there sitting next to Jen in the front row. He's right back. He's everywhere. He's covering all things. He holds all things together. He's all-powerful. The Spirit of God was there in the beginning of creation. Even that picture of Him being on the surface of the earth, He had something to do with creation. In Psalm 104, verse 30, we see, When you send your Spirit, they are created. Who is they? God's creatures. The things God has created is what the psalmist is talking about here. When you send your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Implying this idea that through the Holy Spirit, the power of life is given. We know that man was formed from the dust, the scripture says, and God breathed into him and he became a living creature. God breathed. You know, the the word for spirit is breath. They're the same word in the original language. And so he breathed his spirit himself into man. That's why we're in the image of God. Because he made us that way. That life-giving power came from the Spirit of God. And in contrast, we see in Job chapter 34, verses 14 and 15, if he, God, were to set his heart to it and withdraw his spirit and breath, all flesh would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. Again, what do we see here? The Spirit of God holds all life together. This should really reminds you and I of the significant power and sovereignty of God. His, his spirit holds all of creation in existence. If God removed himself from creation, like some of us when we were young, I was this way when I was young, I figured God kind of made the world and then went off and did something else. He's not here anymore. He's just, we call that agnostic. God, yeah, he's God, but he's not really involved with the day-to-day affairs. He's not really here. He doesn't really have much to do with what's going on. But that's not what the Scripture teaches us. He is everywhere, all the time, holding all things together. Life itself happens because of the Holy Spirit. We could not self-exist. He holds it all together. And that should, re- that, that should encourage and remind us how powerful God is and how powerful His Spirit is and how significant it is that He gives that to us, that we have access to that. In Isaiah, we see a picture that the prophet Isaiah paints for us in one of his prophetic messages. He says, For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. What's he describing here? A a desolate scene, an empty place, not much life, almost like like, well, as he says, a deserted city. It's like a desert. There's an emptiness. There's not, there's not life there. But then he goes on to say this, until, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. Now remember what Jesus said, wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I think Jesus had this in mind, possibly when he was talking about the fulfillment of, of this prophecy. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and what happens because of that? Life. The wilderness becomes a fruitful field. The fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness. So we're, we're, we're shifting from this metaphorical veg, uh, vegetation and things like that to actual principles. 
justice, righteousness. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. When? When the Spirit is poured out from on high. Those things become accessible to us. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard of those in the Bible. Peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, etc., etc. I don't have them all memorized, so I can't say them all for you. They are the fruit of the Spirit. You know what? Fruit is the result of something growing. So when God has poured out His Spirit on His people, they become a fruitful people. This looks like a picture of the church to me. I think this is a prophetic message about what the church would be. God, God made, took you and I and made us His people. He took our dry lives and empty lives and He breathed life into them eternal life, that we would have real peace, real righteousness, real fruit in our lives. Why? Why does that happen? Because the Spirit pours out from on high. And you and I have access to that, and then we see these kinds of results. Now, this is an anticipation as well. So we, we live in what we would call the church age from the time we have a, we have a deposit of the Holy Spirit the Bible says, but we also anticipate a day after this life where we live in his perfect glory. So on one hand, we're experiencing this impartiality in this life, a deposit of it in anticipation of our eternal home where it will be perfectly this way. It's a promise. It's something that should cause an anticipation in our spirit, but should, should also remind us that that power is accessible to us today, that God is with us. Isaiah 44, 3, For I will pour water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. Is he literally going to do that? Water? No. It's a metaphor for what? I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. The The Old Testament anticipates a day when the Spirit of God will move in a more powerful way among his people. A more fruitful way. See, we see the Holy Spirit at work in ways in the Old Testament, but nothing like we see in Jesus' life and forward. Occasionally, there are individuals that are full of the Spirit in the Old Testament, but it's few and far between. And there are some significantly amazing stories in the Old Testament where miracles happen and things like that. But even in the Old Testament, we don't see examples of uh, spiritual demonic forces submitting to the authority of God's people. That's why when Jesus came and he was able to cast out demons, it was shocking because they had not seen that kind of power up until that point. Now, what was different? Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. So the Old, and the Old Testament is anticipating this significant event that Jesus has promised his people in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And afterward... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Again, a powerful picture of anticipation of God's spirit going out to all of his people. Not just occasionally empowered individuals like we see in the Old Testament, but he would have an entire community, family of people in which the Holy Spirit would dwell and be poured out upon. Peter quotes this in Acts chapter 2, which we'll read about in a moment. There's a story in Numbers chapter 11, verse 29. 
Moses, you know Moses, we sang about uh, you, you tear apart the sea. We sang that in a song this morning. Kind of as a, you know, Moses led the people through the Red Sea. God parted the sea. Moses was leading the Israelites. God has given his law to Moses, etc. Most of you know the story of Moses. There's a moment in time where he, Moses ordains elders in the tribes of Israel. I think there's 70 or something like that. And what happens when they are ordained is they begin to prophesy. The Holy Spirit moves powerfully through these men and they prophesy. And it's the only time they do it in their lives, the Bible says. But they're all prophesying and there's two of them that aren't there. They're out in the camp prophesying. And Joshua, who becomes Joshua the leader later, he says, make them stop. Make these guys stop prophesying. They're just out running wild prophesying. That's crazy. And Moses says this. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them, exclamation mark. What is he saying? I I wish that all of God's people were prophets, that all of God's people could hear from God, that all of God's people would have his spirit upon them. Moses, is this is prophetic, I believe. He's anticipating a day when God's people will have his spirit upon them. John the Baptist starts to, it starts to stir up the people about this. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Here's some instruction about baptism. We're going to be baptizing in a few weeks, right? What is water baptism about? It's about repenting. It's about changing the direction of my life, turning and going a new way. So why are people baptized? Because they're saying, I'm changing. I'm going to change. I've submitted my life to Christ. I'm going a new way. And I'm going to dunk in this water. I'm going to get submerged and washed off, so to speak. And I'm going to come back up a new person. And that's my public declaration to the world that I am a servant of Christ. I'm going a new way. That's what baptism is. That's what John the Baptist was doing. Like, you know, we didn't have salvation at that point. Jesus hadn't yet died and resurrected, but they still baptized for repentance. The idea that people are like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get on the straight and narrow here. I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to go a different direction. So John the Baptist was baptizing people, but he says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who's coming after me, he's speaking of Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All right. John the Baptist is reminding the people, there's someone coming right after me, and he's going to be the one that fulfills these promises of the Old Testament of of the Holy Spirit coming upon my people being a part of my people's lives. It's a baptism. He refers to it as a a submersion in the Holy Spirit. Just like he's submersing these people in the water as a sign of repentance, he he uses that illustration to say that God's people will be submerged in his spirit. Jesus, of course, is our greatest example of of he was fully God and he was fully man. Now, you know, we, we ask ourselves questions or we think about why did Jesus, why was he tempted? We just talked it about, talked it about, we just talked about Jesus being tempted. He was, he was just like any one of us. He became weak like you and I on purpose so that, so that he could empathize and sympathize with our weak situation. And in his life, he demonstrates for you and I how we should live. So we look at Jesus as an example, and he is a great example in this regard. He, he's baptized by John. He's totally sinless. He has nothing to repent of, but he does it anyway. He, he's baptized by John, and when he comes out of the water, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. 
The people could see it. There was a manifestation that they could see of the Spirit of God coming down on Jesus and then a voice thunders from heaven. Man, that'll get people's attention. This is my son. So he's filled, he's filled with the Spirit. And then it, in Jesus' story, if you, if you go through it and read the progression of things, after he's baptized, by the, he's baptized in the water and he's filled with the Spirit, it says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, which we were studying in recent weeks. The Spirit of God led him there. And then we pick it up in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. This is after he's been in the wilderness, he's been tempted, and he's dealt with Satan, and he's been fasting. Now he's coming back into society. You need to understand, Jesus, Jesus didn't have a ministry that we know of prior to this. When it talks in the Bible about him turning the water into wine, uh, it says it was the first sign that he, he did. So we don't see that he was a little boy, uh, you know, creating miracles and things like that. We don't have any record of that. And in fact, it indicates contradictory to that in the scripture. But what is the difference here? When he goes public, when he gets baptized in the river, and when he becomes full of the spirit, goes out into the wilderness and does a temptation, he comes back in the power of the spirit. He's full of the spirit, the power of God. And he launches into his ministry. That's a demonstration for you and I, I think. It's an illustration. If we're, whatever God has called us to do, whatever part of the mission we have to play, there's, there's a component there where we need the Spirit of God with us and in us. We need to be aware of it. We need to be asking for Him. We need to ask Him for help, guidance, all those kinds of things. We need to, we need to be in a relationship with the Holy Spirit in order to fulfill our ministry. Because Jesus did. Because Jesus did that. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. The Holy Spirit, it, you know, as he, as he empowered Jesus, launched him into ministry. Okay. Okay, back to Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Jesus is getting ready to ascend, ascend into heaven. And behold, I am sending you the promise of my Father. We've just went through just a brief glimpse into the promises of the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit being a part of our lives. So we just went through that. We fast forward back to Jesus getting ready to ascend into heaven. I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So here, here's about 120 of his, his followers. There aren't very many of them at this point. Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, ascended into heaven. And he's saying, wait, just wait. Something significant is going to happen. You're going to be clothed with power. Which brings us to Acts chapter 2. And I want to read you the story today of Acts chapter 2. This is the moment in time where the, the Spirit of God is poured out upon his people and, and the church age begins, if you will. This, this era in which we live today uh, began in this moment. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, what is Pentecost? Uh, it, was, it was about 50 days after Passover. So Jesus had been crucified at Passover. And it's about 50 days since. So it says that he was with them, I think about 40 days. I, I could be off on that. And then, so it was about 10 days probably after he left. I mean, we don't have that rocket science accurate, but it's something close to that. So they've been waiting for a little over a week. They don't know what's going to happen. They're fearing for their lives, really, because their, their leader has just been executed. Are, are we going to get executed? What's going to happen to us? And it was a day of Pentecost. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so mighty rushing wind, manifestation of the Spirit. They're they're speaking in other tongues. Uh, It's the day of Pentecost. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. Everybody, the city heard it. They heard this rushing wind. They heard this commotion of, of what the Holy Spirit was doing with this small group of people. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own word, in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. So these guys pour out into the street. Uh, they're empowered in these tongues that are, under, in this case, are understandable languages by the other people that are visiting Jerusalem. Remember, this is a big feast. So there's Jews from all over the world who have converged on Jerusalem in order to celebrate Pentecost. Can I get a Kleenex, please? I'm going to blow snot all over myself while I'm preaching. Thank you very much. Sometimes you just got to keep it real, you know? And so they're all amazed and they're perplexed and they're saying to one another, what does this mean? They've just witnessed this amazing thing. What does it mean? But others mocked saying they are filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. Ah, They're just babbling and they're partying early today, I guess. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, which would have been 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So we just read this passage in Joel where there's this promise that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on God's people. And Peter uses that as a foundation to preach the first salvation message of the church right there in the streets of Jerusalem. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So he quotes that passage in Joel to demonstrate to these Jews who would have very well understood this passage of Scripture. And he's using that to illustrate. He goes on to tell them about Jesus. Jesus is the one who paved the way for this. And you crucified him a few weeks ago. It says that they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. What, what's happening here? Peter is standing up. He's full of the Holy Spirit in a way that has not happened before. I mean, remember Peter, the one who denied Jesus in front of people. 
the one who Jesus had to restore before he went to heaven. Suddenly, Peter is empowered in a way he had not been empowered before. And he stands up and he delivers. You know, he's, he's like better than Billy Graham, man. 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ that day. They were so convicted. So, so what, what, do we, what do we understand that's happening here? Peter's empowered to preach. The Holy Spirit is there in power convicting these people that they did the wrong thing by crucifying Christ and that he really is the Christ. This conviction of the Holy Spirit's at work in their hearts. And what is, they say, what do we need to do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It goes on in verse 41. So those who received his word and were baptized... I'm sorry, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Because Peter preached in the power of the Spirit, because the Spirit was at work in the church for the first time in that significant, significant way. That promise, that Holy Spirit is right here with you and I. Every step, every move, everywhere we go, every situation we find ourselves, he's right here and he's in here. He's right there. Again, God is not off in outer space watching you on a monitor somewhere. He's right here in the room with you and in you, leading you, guiding you, influencing you. Are we paying attention to that powerful gift, that counselor, that teacher, that that encourager, the advocate? Are we in a relationship with Him? It was such a significant promise of the Old Testament. And so powerful when it happened. You know, i just speculating here, but I believe the world would be a very different place had the Holy Spirit not moved in power like that that day. Of course, it was all part of God's plan. But I, I think history itself, I think even the things as advanced and the things that we enjoy and, and history itself, messy as it is, I think we're way ahead of where we would have been because God's influence was in His people and they went around the world influencing people for the gospel. The world changed that day. We entered a new age, a whole new relationship with God, a whole new phase of history. So powerful and important for you and I to remember that as we're about our day-to-day lives and our day-to-day journey. Okay, I want to cover four things quickly. Uh, Just talking about the Holy Spirit in general. I want to move on to talk about the gifts of the Spirit next week, but I just want to lay a couple of foundational thoughts about the Holy Spirit. We see that it was a promise. We see that the promise was fulfilled. And um, there's a lot of ways that people would describe the Holy Spirit's job and what He does. But I, this is the mode I kind of like to use. Number one, the Holy Spirit purifies. We see all throughout the scripture that the work of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that he does is he's purifying us. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And there are many, many other passages that, that tell us that one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he purifies us. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. That's, that's why we have conviction for sin. It's why we go to God for forgiveness of sin. Why we confess sin. Because there's a purification that God's wanting to do in our hearts. He wants to remove those things from our lives. He wants to draw close to us. And so the Holy Spirit is always at work to purify you and I. Are we embracing that purification process that the Holy Spirit leads us on? Do we let Him be God? Do we let Him lead us in that way? 
The Holy Spirit unifies. Right here in this story in Acts, we see that once the Holy Spirit has been poured out, these guys are a unified force for a long time. They're sharing the things that they own together. They're working together. There's a unification that comes from the Holy Spirit. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. There's a oneness here. There's a one body, one spirit, a together kind of language here about the spirit. We all have that one unified spirit at work. It's not individual spirits. It's one. It's all the same spirit in each one of us. God wants his church to be unified. Unified. God Himself is unified. So we have this illustration of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in, in perfect unity and oneness, and yet distinct somehow. That's God. He, he is a unified in and of Himself. The unity is, is, a, is the nature of God. And so when His Spirit's at work, He's wanting to unify us. And humans aren't easily unified, but we have that Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit reveals. we got countless examples that we can talk about that the job of the Holy Spirit, the work that He does in His life, in our lives, is bring revelation. We see it with the prophets. We see it with the apostles. You know, specifically the prophets that wrote Scripture and the apostles that wrote Scripture. There was a revelation of God's Word to them. And they recorded those. And that, that's what we have as the Word of God today. But we, there's other instances that we, we don't know about. God brings revelation to people. I believe that God speaks to everybody. I believe every single one of you can hear from God. I think he's, he's around us all the time, influencing us all the time, speaking, so to speak. Maybe not audibly speaking that we hear, but he's influencing us. He's putting pressure on my heart in certain ways, in certain directions. He's influencing me. I'm sensing that God is speaking, we would say. That's the kind of language we apply to. I think every single one of you as God's children can hear from God. The Holy Spirit brings us revelation. And in so many different ways. And we've got a number of examples here how revelation comes. I mean, there are things like, you know, you're, you're reading the Bible. And, and, you know, for those of you that read your scripture regularly, you, you have this happen. You've maybe read something a dozen times. And then all of a sudden one day it just kind of illuminates on the page. Ding! And you're like, oh. It, it, I, I think that's the Holy Spirit. Bringing revelation to you as you dive into the Word of God. He, he's, he's connecting your soul with His Word. His eternal, life-giving, true Word. The Holy Spirit is there. Bringing that truth and influencing us. And bringing illumination and um, just all kinds of revelation to us in many different ways. Even the revelation that to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That Simple revelation isn't something you just decided completely in your logic. It takes takes something of the life-giving, revelatory Holy Spirit of God at work in you to come to that place. And then, of course, the, the, the main one we'll focus on here for the next few weeks, the Holy Spirit empowers. Again, many examples we see throughout the Scripture where the Holy Spirit of God gives greater power 
to God's people. What, what is power? We've been talking about being strong, right? Being strong in the Lord. What does it mean to be strong? What does it mean to be powerful or to have power? Like if I want to lift up an object, you know, and I bend my legs and I grab it and I lift, that, that exertion of force that my muscles are doing to lift something, that's power at work. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives you that energy, power, force, strength, muscle, whatever it takes to do what it is He's called you to do. What it, whatever the situation may be. It may be as simple as um, resisting sin or temptation in a difficult moment. Where do I get the power to resist? I'm so weak, but He is strong. He has power. The Holy Spirit is right there to empower us. Or what about if I need to, you know, i got to stand up in front of people and, and teach on Sunday and preach, and I need the power of God to do that. I can't do that on my own. I don't want to do that on my own. I mean, everything we do to serve one another the power of God is available there for us to strengthen and encourage us in it and give us what we need. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Wait a minute. I was just a, Lord, I was just a fisherman. I was just a lowly fisherman fishing, and you called me to follow you, and now you're going to, t- you're going to tell me that you're going to pour out power on us knuckleheads, and we're going to take this to the rest of the earth? Really? 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 Yes. Treasures and jars of clay we are. We're, we're, we are weak, but He's going to empower us for purpose. Not so we can just flex our muscle and enjoy things, but for a purpose that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go to the ends of the earth. That that life-giving Spirit would spread to others. And we would be a force on the earth. So the Holy Spirit empowers. And just a little teaser for next week for you. Uh, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul goes into depth on teaching about spiritual gifting. So this Holy Spirit that comes and empowers us can empower us in very specific ways. From very simple things like serving one another to very powerful things like prophecy or healing, supernatural things. The power of God is there for his people. And we're going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking next week. We're going to hear from Mrs. Lynn Stumberg two weeks from now. She's going to talk about serving with your gift. And then Clem Ferris will be here actually after that uh, doing some teaching on submitting your gift to authority. So looking forward to those messages. Would you stand please? I don't know about you, but when I re- well, just, you know, and I, I, you've just been listening for 30 or 40 minutes. I had all week ruminating on these scriptures. And I tell you what it does It makes me hungry. I want to see that power at work. I want that refreshing. I I know I can't do it on my own. I know you can't do it on your own. I hope that your appetite for more of the Spirit of God in your life has been stirred. And as you go about your week this week, here's my challenge, I dare you. (laughs) Just stop every once in a while and remember, He's right here. He's right here. He's with me. He's in me. He knows how to guide me through whatever this circumstance I'm facing is. Whatever situation. He's right there with the power that we need. So as I pray, you have to ask. Jesus said, if you who are evil know how to give a good gift, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the gift of the Holy Spirit when you ask? You ask. You have to ask. Go to your heavenly Father today and ask. Lord, I want more of your Spirit. I want to understand the power that you've given me more. Lord, we come before you this this morning thankful that you made a way when there was no way. Thankful that you give us 
your spirit, even though we can't earn it, we're never going to be good enough for it. But you, you become a part of our lives, and we are grateful for that. Lord, I pray for every person here, Lord, that our hearts would be more open and paying attention to the way you want to work inside of us and to use us in this world. Lord, I pray that you would fill each one that's asking you for your spirit right now. I pray that your spirit would fill each one that asks. God, giving us the strength to overcome, the strength to serve, the strength to live the life, Lord, that you have for us. God, I pray that you would find willing hearts all over this room today, willing, Lord, to engage with you, to engage with your spirit, to learn and grow with you. Pray that you would bless each one as they go. Remind us all this week, as we go about our week, that you are right there to empower us, purify us, unify us. In Jesus' name, amen.